You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's January 11th. Today is day 21 of the partial U.S. government shutdown, matching the longest shutdown in American history. The stalemate continues over funding to build a wall at the U.S. southern border, but there has been more focus on the potential political fallout for both sides than there has been discussion about whether or not such a wall would be effective. Rand's Raphael Cohen says that we can look to history to help inform this debate. States have been building walls since ancient times to keep populations in, to keep invaders out, and to keep warring populations separated. As a security tactic, Cohen says that many of these walls have worked, at least for a time. Notably, walls have tamped down violence in places like Iraq. And during the Troubles in Northern Ireland, the British built so-called peace walls to separate Republican Catholic neighborhoods from Loyalist Protestant ones. These examples show that a wall can be effective at slowing down attackers. But according to Cohen, walls are just that, a delaying obstacle. They are a tactic, not a strategy. And there is no historical wall that has proven impregnable. Those determined enough have always found ways to breach a wall or tunnel under it. So if the United States does build a wall along its southern border and monitors it effectively, it could succeed in curbing illegal immigration. But it won't end it, says Cohen. Quote, as long as life in the United States offers potential migrants more opportunities and fewer perceived dangers than their home countries, illegal immigration will likely persist. This week, administration officials began to walk back President Trump's announced pullout from Syria. This included extending the timeline for the troop drawdown, then eliminating the timetable altogether, and making the withdrawal conditional on receiving assurances from Turkey over its treatment of the Syrian Kurds. While these developments may add to the confusion over U.S. policy towards Syria, Rand's Jim Dobbins says that they are a step in the right direction. The campaign against ISIS is not entirely over, and the United States still has obligations to its partners in Syria, primarily the Kurds. Dobbins also says that Washington's attitude towards Syrian President Bashar al-Assad warrants a review. Assad is a war criminal, but the United States has previously talked with other leaders in that category such as Libya's Muammar Gaddafi. And the current U.S. approach toward the Assad regime, a strategy carried over from the Obama administration that focuses on punitive action, may only perpetuate conflict in the region and sustain Iran's influence in Syria. Restorative practices are methods for resolving conflict that focus on building connections among people and repairing bonds that have been damaged as a result of that conflict. The approach was developed in the justice system as a way to mediate relationships between offenders and their victims. But these strategies are also used in schools as inclusive and non-punitive ways to respond to conflict and help build a sense of community. When used in the classroom, restorative practices can take on many different forms. They can be informal actions, such as asking students to use I statements to express their personal feelings toward others. Or they can be more formal practices, like responding to a student's disruptive behavior by forming what's called a responsive circle, in which students and teachers gather together to discuss the harmful actions in a group. During the discussion, the emphasis is on the harm that was done, rather than the person who did it. A new RAND study examined a Pittsburgh public schools program that uses these methods. 
and it found that restorative practices reduced student suspensions. The decreases in suspensions were more prevalent among elementary students, African American students, students from low income families, and female students. With these positive findings and lessons learned from Rand's analysis, other districts may be able to use restorative practices to help improve the learning and social environments in their schools. Catherine DeRose is a senior policy researcher here at Rand. Her research examines how social ills like poverty and prejudice can poison the physical health of entire communities. Most recently, DeRose has been working with Latino and African American churches in the Los Angeles area to help fight two of the biggest health problems facing their communities HIV and obesity. In addition to her PhD in health services, master's degree in population and family health, and years of experience studying health disparities, DeRose has another important qualification for working with religious organizations. She's an Episcopal deacon. DeRose's research has shown the power of the pulpit. To fight health disparities, counter stigma, and encourage healthy living. She says, Churches are really key anchors in underserved communities. They excel at responding to critical needs, and they know those needs in their communities very intimately. When you start to combine efforts with churches, you can really have an important impact on the community as a whole. The chance of a peace deal between China and Taiwan is exceptionally low, says Rand's Derek Grossman. A cold peace, as he puts it, has prevailed in the Taiwan Strait since President Tsai Ing wen was elected by the Taiwanese people in 2016. And while both Tsai and Chinese leader Xi Jinping remain dug into their respective positions, recent statements by Xi could make cross strait relations even more tense. Xi has re emphasized the idea of one country, two systems, a vision of one China but with different governments, as the future political framework between China and Taiwan. Tsai has consistently rejected this, stating that Taiwan will absolutely not accept one country, two systems. Xi's doubling down on the idea suggests that China believes it has the upper hand for now. But Grossman says the forthcoming Taiwanese election in 2020 could shift that power. If both Taiwan's ruling and opposition parties come together to oppose China, it could mean a nightmare scenario for Beijing. We recently paid tribute to Brian Michael Jenkins, senior advisor to the president of RAND and a leading authority on terrorism. The event, One Night with RAND, celebrated Jenkins' 50 years of service and highlighted the substantial body of research on terrorism that he has produced. The evening's speakers discussed the evolution of terrorism and its effect on the direction of U.S. national security. In his keynote remarks, Jenkins explained that terrorism has not turned out to be the existential threat that Americans feared in the shadow of September 11th. But that horrific day did alter our idea of what's plausible. After 9 11, no scenario, no matter how far fetched, could be ruled out, he said. Looking to the future, Jenkins emphasized the need to come together to address the threat of terrorism. Quote, our defense must come from all of us, all of us as Americans. Not just the departments of defense or of homeland security. He said, a nation united in its commitment to fundamental values liberty, courage, self reliance, a sense of community, and mutual respect cannot be sundered, cannot be conquered. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. See you next week.